Good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out. Open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. We're going to read a couple of verses there in just a moment that will uh, really serve as the basis for everything that we want to talk about and consider tonight from the Word of God. So be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, and be ready to follow along, not just there, but in all the other passages that we'll uh, be reading and discussing. As you're turning there and getting settled in for uh, this, uh, another opportunity to uh, open up God's Word and to study together, uh, I will say how great it is to see everybody this evening and so glad to be able to have the chance to uh, be together and to worship and to think about things that are of just uh, eternal importance. And that will be especially the case tonight. I have been a, a, a bit long-winded the last couple of Sunday nights, but I said to some of the fellows earlier that uh, my intention is to be a little less long-winded tonight, but I want to say that even though this will probably be shorter than the last uh, couple Sunday night sermons, that does not mean that this will be any less important of a lesson that we're going to talk about tonight, and I think you'll see why very quickly in 2 Timothy 4. Read with me, if you will, as Paul is concluding the letter to Timothy, and as he does what he often does in these epistles and in these letters, when you're near the end of one of Paul's epistles, there's all kinds of personal admonitions and personal requests and a bunch of howdies and hellos to various folks, and there's usually even some name-dropping that happens. And that is the case here at the end of the second epistle to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4 and in verse 9, Paul writes to Timothy there. He says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. All of the Bible is inspired. It is all breathed out by God. And accordingly, all of it is profitable and it is useful. But there are some parts of the Bible that are less enjoyable than others. For example, I don't like reading the book of Judges. I don't. There's just stuff in Judges that just sends chalkboard chills down my spines. There are things in the books of, book of Judges that are just abhorrent and gross and I just always feel like I need a shower after reading it. I don't like reading about the crucifixion of Jesus either. It is ghastly. It is appalling to consider the details of what our Lord endured. I've just never gotten comfortable with it and I really don't imagine that I'll ever get comfortable with it. And I must tell you this evening that I really don't like reading that verse in 2 Timothy 4 and in verse 10. I don't like that passage at all. There just isn't anything about that verse that I find appealing in any way. Because that verse says that Demas had deserted not only Paul, but had deserted the Lord. That's not a happy story, is it? I don't think that the precious moments folks, the people that make those little figurines, I don't think that they're looking to turn that little story into porcelain anytime soon, a little porcelain figure of Paul in chains weeping, and here's Demas turning his back on him. I've never met any expectant parents who are pregnant maybe with a baby boy, and you ask them, oh, it's a boy, well, what's his name going to be? And they say, oh, we got it already picked out. His name's going to be Demas. Never seen that before. Demas's name is associated with villainy, treachery, being a traitor forsaking the Lord. At a time in Paul's life when he is in chains, he is in jail for being a Christian. At a time that Paul needs the help and the support and the prayers and the friendships of brothers in Christ, here in this intense hour of trial, 
One of his closest friends has turned his back on him and returned to the world and to the ways of darkness. And it is for those reasons that I do not like this verse. It is a painful and it is a bitter reminder of the ugly truth that you and I are involved in spiritual combat. And unfortunately, since we are involved in spiritual warfare, that means that there will be casualties in this war between darkness and light. This evening, as much as it pains me, I do want to talk about some of those ugly truths that Demas' story teaches us. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right up front, I don't like this lesson. I don't like the three points that I am about to make in this lesson. I don't like, as I think about Demas' story, I don't like being reminded of brothers and sisters that I have known personally, people that I care about very, very much, who have done exactly what Demas did. I don't like having to think about that, much less talk about that. But this evening, we will. Because these are the kinds of reminders that I believe help keep us from doing what Demas did. And so tonight, I do want to set before us and I want us to be able to stare right in the face of three ugly truths that in all probability we'd all probably much rather ignore, but three ugly truths that we're going to look at, stare at, and we're going to give a little bit of attention to nonetheless. And that all begins with this very first truth as I look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. And that is that Demas' story teaches us that resisting the devil that that is a never-ending struggle. You know, part of me would like to know and is curious to know more about 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. I'm curious to know what exactly led to Demas' downfall. What we do know though is that Demas was a close companion of Paul. He labored with Paul, worked with Paul, maybe even assisted Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. Would you step out of Timothy for just a moment? Look in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, as Paul is concluding the Colossian letter, and he's doing some of that name dropping again. In Colossians chapter 4, look at what he says in verse 14. In Colossians 4 and in verse 14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So here's a guy who is, well, he's part of Paul's band. He's part of Paul's entourage. Here's a guy who obviously has his Christianity together. I mean, after all, he is working alongside an apostle. Man, that's an incredible opportunity, isn't it? I think what we'd like to think, I mean, getting to be with Paul and getting to live during that time, being in such close proximity to a man who was literally guided by the Holy Spirit in the things that he said, that, that we'd like to think that, well, that would provide some, some insulation from the devil and temptation just getting to be around a really righteous man like Paul. And yet clearly, it did not insulate Demas. Paul writes that letter to Timothy as he nears the end of his life and he says painfully, he's gone. Demas is gone. He loves this world. He's gone back to that very lifestyle that he and I and all of us, we once opposed and stood against. The question is, how'd that happen? How, how is that possible? I'll tell you exactly how that happened. 
Look with me in James chapter 4. Actually, James will tell us how that's possible. In James chapter 4, James tells us how it is that really super devoted Christians can go back to the cesspool of the world. Have you ever have you wondered that? People in your own life, that man, you just thought were really strong Christians and all of a sudden, well, they're not serving the Lord anymore. Well, how'd that happen? I'll tell you how. James chapter 4, verse 7. James writes here, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I may not know all of the particulars as to why Demas deserted Paul and why he forsook the Lord, but I know how it happened. It happened when somewhere along the way, Demas quit resisting. He quit resisting long before the devil quit tempting. And we don't like to think about that. I don't like to think about that. I was having a conversation with a group of folks a little while back and we were talking about about the devil, how, man, you just look at the world around us and the things that are going on in the world and in churches right now. and Man, just talking about how the devil is just so active right now. I mean, he's just doing all kinds of stuff. He's having a field day right now. And one of the people in the conversation, as we kind of kept exploring that and talking about that, somebody just spoke up and said, I don't want to talk about that anymore. That's just creeping me out to think about the devil doing all that. But you know what? We need to think about that. And we need to talk about that. That the devil is active and he is busy. He is always looking for fresh meat. In fact, I heard somebody say this recently and when they said it, it just sent a chill down my spine. They said, the devil is thinking about you. And My, oh my, just the thought of that just sent shivers up and down me. The devil's thinking about you. Do you think about that often? Ever? That the devil might very well, he might be thinking about you right now. That he's making plans for you. He's trying to figure out how to exploit your weaknesses and he knows what your weaknesses are. He's looking for maybe that area of your life that, man, you're just tired of fighting. You're just tired of resisting him in these particular areas and he's looking to tempt you in those areas so that you won't put up much resistance anymore. He's just always on the prowl. In fact, what did Peter say in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 talking about the devil? talks about him being a roaring lion. I think if I knew that there was a lion loose in the neighborhood, I think that would make me a little bit freaked out. Well, guess what? There is a lion loose in the neighborhood. Which means then that you and I must never drop our guard. You and I must never become complacent and... Let's be honest, that's a challenge. It is. I think that's a challenge especially for those of us who've maybe been Christians for a good long while. You know, for many of us, when we first obeyed the gospel, we probably were very keenly aware of our need to, to make some changes in our life, to, to try to break free of some old habits, got to stop doing some of those things, and need to start doing some other things. We were very aware and cognizant of the possibility that we could slip back into our former manner of life. And so we kept our guard up, kept it up and kept it strong. But then what happens? Well, what happens is, is, is some time passes. And hopefully during that passage of time, we, we grow a little bit as a disciple. We start improving in various ways and we begin to, to settle in with this Christianity thing. We start to develop those new habits, those good habits, so that it's not so hard of a struggle as it once was to live that Christian life. And we reach a place 
where ultimately we just get pretty comfortable. Where we just kind of feel like we've we finally got it all put together and before you know it, we are being complacent. We're not nearly as worried as we were before about the devil. We were not as conscious or as observant about the devil as we ought to be. When our, maybe our senses are not as keen on the possibilities of the activity of the devil and being able to spot that in my own life, when that happens, that's when the story of Demas ought to just snap us right back to reality. Because the ugly truth is that being baptized into Christ, becoming a Christian, that does not mean that the devil just all of a sudden takes a hike. Oh well, God's got that one, so I guess there's nothing else I can do. No, that's really when the battle's just begun. Our battle with sin and temptation, that is a daily struggle. It is a lifetime struggle and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how strong you think you are as a Christian. The devil is always trying to help the saved to get unsaved. Just ask Demas. Which leads right into this second ugly truth from Demas' story. And that is that not everybody... Not everybody who begins the Christian walk is going to go to heaven. You know, it's wonderful and very comforting to think about those who have valiantly fought the good fight. Those who have, as best we can tell, as we've judged their their earthly life here and how they live for the Lord, that it seems like they have been victorious At the end of their life, they were victorious in that struggle against sin and that struggle against the devil. That's that's a wonderful thing and we like to think about that. But the painful reality is, is that not everybody is victorious. In fact, maybe what pains me the most is to have to admit that if some Christians are not succeeding in that battle, then what that means is, is that the devil is succeeding. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 really stands as the all-time example that the devil is successful at drawing away from God, God's very own children, our family members, our brothers, our sisters in the Lord, that they will not be there at that grand family reunion in the sky that awaits the redeemed. That when we're all assembled around the bridegroom's table and the feast of heaven begins, their seat will be empty. And that's a painful thing to think about. Now I do believe, and this is probably where we most commonly cite this verse from 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. I do believe that 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is really, really helpful whenever we are discussing the topic of once saved, always saved with our friends and our neighbors. You've had those conversations before, I am sure. We start talking about those things with our denominational friends who've bought into various tenets of Calvinism and they believe in this idea that once you're saved, you're always saved and nothing can ever change that. And so we bring 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 to that discussion. And I think that's a good verse to bring to that discussion. I mean, really, is, is anybody ready to argue that, well, you know, Demas, he did leave the Lord, Paul said, and he did go back into the world and that's certainly not good, but... But I think we're going to see him in heaven because after all, once you're saved, you're always saved. I've never met anybody who's willing to argue that. I think that'd be a really hard case to make. And so there definitely is a place for us to use this passage in a once saved, always saved discussion. But I'd say this. I wonder if us hammering away at 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 
until it becomes this piece of ammunition, a bullet that I can then shoot at a Calvinist? I wonder if that might not be the same kind of thing that Demas would do with a text like this. Maybe instead of us using this verse to go around shooting others and everybody else who's got it all wrong, maybe what I need to think about is that 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is talking to me. That it's shouting at me. It's trying to warn me. This passage was written to say, Josh McKibben, you could miss heaven. You plug your own name into that sentence. Whoa, that's certainly not something I want to think about. I just did not particularly want to think about that thought on this day. But do you see how easy it is for us to decide that all that business of going to hell and all the stuff that Revelation and places where Jesus talks about hell, all that stuff about hell, that's for those awful pagans out there somewhere. All those people out in the world who are just defying God, who just don't give Him a second thought, that's who hell is for. But for, for me? Oh, not me. Look at me. I come to church on Sunday nights. That's like twice as much or maybe three times as much as most people come to church. Come on. Going to hell is for all those wild people out there. Being lost is for people who only think about God on Christmas and on Easter. That can't possibly be talking about somebody like me. I kind of think maybe Demas would think those same thoughts. And I would imagine that once upon a time, Demas himself was a pretty stellar Christian at one point in his life. Think about it again. It's a guy who he got to hear Paul preach. He may have assisted Paul in the writing or in the delivery of those epistles. Here's a guy who maybe got to see Paul perform miracles. He maybe was even one of the few who would have been baptized by Paul. And yet, and yet he didn't stick with it. What's it going to be like on Judgment Day? Try to place yourself in Demas' shoes. What's it going to be like on Judgment Day for Demas? When those books are opened and Jesus looks over at Paul and Jesus says, that's him, isn't it? And Paul has to say, Yes, it is. And Jesus then looks at Demas and said, Why'd you leave your brother? Why'd you abandon him when he needed you the most? And furthermore, why did you leave me? Why did you love the world more than you loved me? Man, that's rough to think about, isn't it? But you know what? It won't be any different for anyone else who began their walk with Christ and made the same decision to walk away. What will it be like when Jesus says, Hey, I remember when you were baptized. That was a glorious day. It was a wonderful day. I remember how joyful it was in heaven. All the angels around me, they were all singing because you had been saved. But you know what? I also remember when you gave up. I remember when your zeal began to to run low. I remember when your commitment to me began to trickle away. I remember when you left me. What 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is telling us is that not everybody who starts the Christian race finishes. And furthermore, it is telling us that those who do not finish that race, they are not going to heaven. And I take no delight, no pleasure whatsoever in even making such a statement. 
But the Bible says that the only ones who are going to reap someday are the ones who do not give up. Galatians 6 verse 9. Demas gave up. And he now serves for us as a cautionary tale for all time so that you and I don't make the same eternal mistakes. Which brings me to this third and final truth this evening. A truth that Demas so painfully teaches us. And that is that being around committed disciples, that in and of itself does not guarantee that you and I will be committed disciples. You know, I I always kind of consider that folks who make time for a Sunday evening service or a Wednesday evening service, generally, that's going to be the most committed folks in a congregation. And so maybe the thinking is that, well, if you come and you get around some of those committed folks, you make the attempt to come and be here on a Sunday night, you might be telling yourself, well, hey, I'm around committed folks. Well, well, surely that's going to make me a committed disciple as well. And you know what? It is possible. It is possible to stand around and to spend time and to be around all of the right people who are all doing all of the right things. And yet at the end of the day, you yourself can still not be the right kind of person. Would you step out, uh, Timothy, again? Look with me in the book of Philemon. That little letter that... It's found right before the book of Hebrews. Here is the one other place in Scripture where Demas is mentioned by name. And it seems that Demas was. He was around all of the right kinds of people. In Philemon chapter 1, read with me there in verse 23. In Philemon 1 verse 23, Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. That right there, that's an all-star lineup right there. Mark, Luke, Aristarchus, man, those are big names in the New Testament world. You can add to that some of those other names that we've already noticed like Timothy and Paul and that doesn't even mention whatever other Christians that Demas was around during that first century, during that initial spread of Christianity when man, things were just busting out at the seams like wildfire. But you know what? Not even all of those great names, not even all of those people that we would consider to be heroes of the faith, not even all of them could take Demas to heaven. And this is a hard truth. This is a hard truth for us to swallow and it's a hard truth for me to stand up and to preach. Because regularly I stand up and preach that evil companions corrupt good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And you know what? They do. But we then kind of flip that and think about the inverse of that and the inverse of that must also be true, right? That the right kind of companions will encourage good morals. You get around the right kind of people, they'll build you up. They'll help you to be what you ought to be, right? And so we try to encourage that, especially to our young people. We try to encourage them to to make friends of God's children, we sing in that song. We try to emphasize the importance of spending time with other Christians, not just in the assembly when we worship, but outside of this place when we're in each other's homes and in our community that we spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. We try to stress how essential it is to build strong relationships in the body of Christ. And I want to say that all of that is important and all of that is true. I'm going to keep on preaching that. But I'm afraid that sometimes folks maybe convince themselves that, hey, 
as long as I'm around all these good, faithful disciples, then somehow and in some way that will make me a faithful disciple. But listen to me very clearly. The test of the Lord is not who you're around. The test of the Lord is your faithfulness. What kind of Christian are you? Are you strong in the Lord? Are you committed to Him? Are you actively serving Him? Just ask yourself right now, am I reading my Bible? Preached about that this morning. Don't think about everybody else. Think about it for yourself. Am I reading my Bible? How much time am I spending in prayer? What maybe is the temperature of my marriage? Is it what it ought to be? What good works am I involved in? How am I contributing to the spread of the cause of Christ? How much do I love the Lord? What kind of disciple am I? Am I a truly committed disciple? Or am I just standing around a bunch of other good disciples and I'm just kind of hoping to blend in with them? You listen to me very carefully. On Judgment Day, on Judgment Day there will be no group judgment. Hey, Lakeside, Lakeside, all of you Lakesiders, you come down to the front, it's time for your judgment, and hey, you're all going to be pronounced together. And well, the verdict is, you're in. Woohoo! We all get to go in together. That's not the way that's going to go. On judgment day, you will answer for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And if you don't get to make it in, there won't be nobody to blame for that except yourself. Have you ever seen any of those videos of, of cruise ships that are about to take off from port? And there's actually all kinds of these videos on YouTube. You look them up. Don't do it now, but look them up later when you get home. Some of them are actually kind of funny, really. It's, it's sad, and I feel bad for those people, but it's kind of hilarious to think about because the captain of the ship in those situations will announce over the loudspeaker maybe several times, Hey! This is the departure time. This is when we're leaving. You need to be on the boat. And they'll have all kinds of bells and sirens and other stuff going off to alert people, hey, it's getting close to time, almost time. Hey, it's time to go. But you know what? It's always stated very, very clearly that if you miss that final all aboard, then the boat will leave without you. And I've watched some of those videos. And that is exactly what happens. They will leave you. And you see people, they're running frantically down the pier and they're waving and they're hollering and they're jumping up and down and they're screaming and they're shouting trying to get somebody's attention saying, Hey, all my friends are on the boat. And you know what? They are. All their friends are on the boat. But the problem is you didn't get on the boat. What I'm asking you this evening is, is are your friends on this boat? And if so, what about you? Have you gotten on the boat? Are you staying on the boat? Listen to me, being a disciple is not something that we do because, well, all the crowd is doing it, even if it is a good crowd. That's not the reason that we become a Christian. And being a follower of Christ, it does not automatically occur because, well, we are surrounded by all these good folks who are trying to follow the Lord. No. 
Being a Christian, being a truly committed disciple, that happens when I decide to get on the boat. That I decided that going to heaven was more important than anything else. I decided that I wanted to live my life for Jesus. I decided to commit my life to Him above everything else. No one else, not mama, not daddy, not grandma, granddad, not the preacher, not anybody else. No one else can make that decision for me. I choose to follow Jesus. And what 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 tells us is that at some point, Demas made that good decision. But the text also tells us that despite every advantage that he was given, despite all of the good people who were around him in his life, Demas ultimately reneged on that decision. And yes, that does show us. It does show us that he stopped resisting the devil. And yes, it does show us that, hey, not everybody who starts walking with Christ is going to end up in heaven someday. But most of all, what it shows us is it shows us that being a disciple of Jesus, it is an individual matter. You decide. You choose. And Demas, Demas chose the world. And that is the ugly truth that this story teaches us because the grim reality is, is that you and I, we can end up doing the same. Now, I wish so much that I could conclude the sermon right now with a really happy ending. That I could tell you, hey, turn over now in your Bible to second, or excuse me, 3 Timothy chapter 7. And there we will read about all the wonderful things that Demas did as he repented of his sins, as he came back to the Lord and he was restored. I, I wish that I could tell you that. But I cannot. Demas is never mentioned again in Scripture. Perhaps he did repent. But the last that we know about Demas, the last that we see of him, is him going away from Jesus. And that is why the Bible is not a collection of fairy tales because not every story ends with a happily ever after. This story is rimmed in reality, the ugly reality, not fantasy. And what 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is telling us tonight is that somewhere in eternity, Demas is awaiting final judgment. He is awaiting a day when he will be called to try and give an answer for something that he can never answer. And what I'm hoping that you are thinking right now is what I'm thinking, and that is, I do not like these truths. And I don't. I hate these truths. But I hope that you see them for exactly what they are. They are a sober warning to us across centuries of time, that you and I must avoid the mistakes that Demas made and end up losing our soul in the process. Can we go to God in prayer? Would you bow with me, please? Our dear gracious God, we humble ourselves before you this evening. We're thankful to you for your word. We're thankful for the good things that it records, the encouraging things, the comforting things that it records. Father, we are also even thankful for those ugly truths that you have recorded in your word. Father, we come to you telling you that we are so bothered and we are hurt and we are saddened at the story of Demas. 
Father, we know how much that must have hurt Paul. And more than that, Father, we know how much it must have hurt you. And Father, as we read that story, we cannot help but think about people in our own lives that we have known and loved and care about very, very much. People who at one time expressed their devotion to you and demonstrated their love for you in their lives, but at some point along the way, they forsook you as well. Father, we are asking you, we are petitioning you on their behalf that you would be long-suffering, that you would be merciful for just a little while longer, that you would give them the time that they need to come to their senses. And Father, that you might even use us as instruments to be able to reach them and to help them to come back to you before it is too late. Father, most of all this evening, we want to think about ourselves. And we're thankful for what Paul recorded here because it does prick us and cause us to examine our own Christianity. Father, help us that we would never let our guard down. Protect us and keep us and help us to be ever vigilant in our fight against the devil. Help us, Father, to just always be on guard and to always be prepared. Our desire, Father, is to be with you in heaven someday, with you, with Jesus, with the saints of all time. That's what we want. We ask you to help us every step of the way in order to get there. We pray, Father, that as we fail, fail you and fall short, that you would forgive us. Help us to recognize the error of our way before we allow it to become something so great that we don't overcome. Help us, Father, in your strength and in your power to overcome sin so that we can indeed live with you eternally. We thank you for Jesus. We're thankful for the blessing of salvation that's made possible through him. And it is in his holy name that we pray. And amen.